0: This week, I'm talking to Nadine Wood. I had a, such a wonderful conversation with Nadine. It felt like part therapy, part enlightenment in all of the wise words she had in her 11 years of motherhood and everything that she's been through. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I love her message and I love her company. And please forgive me, Nadine, if I say this wrong, but it's Mayana jean She owns said company, which is... I would say it's more than an undergarment company because the messaging is so important, but I'll let her explain that more in this episode. They also sell masks. And really the whole ethos, or at least what I took from it, was that we really need to take care of mothers in the postpartum period. And it's really important that we feel amazing within ourselves. And the same kind of follows through to the masks that they're now making, where The things that we have to wear don't have to be just for function. They can also be beautiful and comfortable. I have just ordered my own and I cannot wait for it to arrive. So I I have just ordered the bralette and the mask. So maybe you'll see that if you follow me on my Instagram. I will be sharing it. Anyway, thank you, Nadine. Thank you for sharing Loretta's story of how she came into the world and everything else that you've shared along the way, as well as the message and everything you're doing for women because the world needs more of you. And yeah, I just can't say thank you enough.
1: Thank you for taking the time to talk to me in a pandemic. I know that you're busy and you have your own business and all the things right now. So um, I appreciate that. Maybe we'll start with a little bit about you. I obviously met you, I think it was last year at Mums, the Mum Fest. I've been following your business and brand for a little while. And I love everything that you guys are doing. Perhaps we'll come back to that. But Maybe tell us a bit about yourself first, not only who you was before you became a mum, because I know that you have a daughter who's 11 now. You've been a mum for a while. So maybe tell us a little bit about who you was before that and like how your life has evolved.
2: Okay, that's a great question. So thank you so much for having me on. First of all, I'm so grateful to share my story with your audience and the opportunity to do that. I'm always thankful that there are women like you that are helping women by sharing stories and helping them reconnect and normalize situations that people don't talk about as much, I would say. So thank you for that. So as it relates to me, I would say, who was I before I had my daughter? I don't think I've changed that much, I'll be honest. I think that's one thing I've known about myself is that, and I would say it's interesting because when I had my daughter, I was, I'm I'm no longer married, but I was married. And I was very concerned that, If I have my daughter at the age that I was, I was 26 at the time, 27, that I still wanted to have a little bit more time for me. My mom had me at 37 and I've always envisioned myself to be somebody who's career driven who wants to travel and when I say travel not like backpack like actually when I say travel I never mean backpack <laughs> I mean yeah
1: like, not like, <laughs> with a backpack in my luggage
2: like. yeah yeah so I mean I just wanted to be able to go out and I like dinners and I like to do things I'm actually an only child. So I enjoy my own company. I've grown to love my own company. And I was nervous that if I become a mother, that I might lose all of that freedom. But it was interesting because my my husband at the time was extremely convincing. And we were living in Turkey at the time. He's like, you know, it's totally possible in the job that he was doing. And I had left my career, my family, everything in Canada too because his career was, I don't want to say it, it, it was more important at that time. And a lot of times in certain careers, it's time sensitive. So mm-hmm. we followed his career and I started seeing like families at different events and they would travel with their children and it was a part of the community. And it reminded me of how I grew up because my family's from the Caribbean and my mom used to send me home every summer as opposed to summer camp. and. We do everything together. There's no age kind of differentiation. It's very family oriented. So you kind of lose that when you're in North America. Everything is very segmented, even your neighbors. Like people don't even see their neighbors here, whereas it's very community oriented in other parts of the world. So that convinced me. And then I had my daughter and I basically had her adapt to my life, if that makes sense. And I find that you raise your children to suit your lifestyle. So when there was Winterlicious in Toronto and she was eight months, I took her at an eight o'clock dining appointment at Sassafras in Yorkville. And everybody was like, oh my God, I can't believe you're bringing a baby we to that. a restaurant at eight o'clock at night. And I said, well, I'm bringing a baby to a restaurant at eight o'clock at night. I'm not saying that my baby's well-behaved. I don't believe that there's a well-behaved baby. I think it's what your, every child has their own personality and you have your own parenting habits and it depends on how those two connect. I was grateful that my daughter at the time didn't speak a word. <laughs> now it's opposite, but she yeah. was just really chill. I could take her anywhere. Whereas like I have a niece, love her to death. I would never take her because that's just her personality. You know what I mean?
1: No, my first son was the same. We we actually we stopped for brunch on the way back to hospital. Yeah. And my second son, I don't even want to take him to the McDonald's drive-thru. You know, like we still try, but I think that's like you, you were just saying, if we really want to do it to make them fit into our lifestyle and to have shared experiences that we enjoy rather than, it would obviously be a lot easier to stay at home a lot of the time, but I'm definitely of the opinion just try it and like less than happen you leave.
2: And when you're from other parts of the world, mm-hmm. it's normal. Your kid goes with you. And then your children adapt. Like they learn what is appropriate, what is not appropriate based on the boundaries you put out there. Now, there are times when they're going to be children. And that's normal. But
1: that needs to be normalised, don't you think? Keep them in a restaurant or a plane, particularly a plane when you could do these things. Keep them quiet as if like, they're winning on just being quiet and not being the same as we were when we were kids. Like, it's a rite of passage, isn't it? They're not- Exactly.
2: I flew to Dubai when she was five months old and I took a red eye. Why? Because it makes sense. She's going to sleep through the whole flight. Okay. It's not going to stop me from traveling. Okay, I know what her schedule is. I was breastfeeding her so just on the boob when the plane goes up on the boob when the plane comes down. So there's no ear issues, hopefully. I mean, you do have to make some changes. But if you make changes, you assess the situation just like you would with anything else in your environment. You're like, okay, okay, I can't I, I'm probably not going to fly to Dubai at 8am because that's going to be a nightmare for me. Maybe I'll take the 12 o'clock flight because i know she's going to be exhausted and sleep through the whole thing most of it
1: your comfort level too isn't it like some people that's their idea of hell and other people's like well i really want to go and i'm willing to sacrifice it or i just want my life to be like that that's what's important really it's like deciding what your boundaries are and what you enjoy and not just completely setting them aside like you said they need to meet in the middle
2: somewhere yeah you just have to figure out a way to work on it and I think a lot of times parents are just uncomfortable about other people's opinions yeah the discomfort lies more with what other people will say and how they react to that more so than their own intuition or their own values or what they think is okay I felt like that a lot when I was living in in the States, when I was breastfeeding, I was nervous every time I went out to breastfeed because I was scared somebody would say something to me when I first started, which they did. As time went on, you become stronger. I think that's a, a difference in who I am. I am definitely a lot more confident now. And I've grown into somebody who isn't as concerned. And that that could also, it's not just motherhood. I think that's also with age, right? Like you, you start to not care about what other people think. As a matter of fact, you're kind of like, I wish you would try and come and tell me something right now, because I will, I have some choice words for you, you know?
1: <laughs> I want to ask you about your business, but in a slightly longer capacity. So maybe... Tell us what it is that you do now, and yeah. then we'll get into your birth story and how that all ties in.
2: Yeah, sure. So, right now, today, we make ethically made luxury undergarments with a focus on mom's healing and transition post birth and beyond. So, what does that mean? Like, I created this brand because I had a challenging postpartum recovery, and not just mentally, it was more also. I know a lot of times we think about like postpartum depression and all these things, and That might've been something that I had experienced because I didn't really get the help right away. I started seeing somebody after, Mm -hmm. which was extremely helpful. And that's also added to my confidence and all those other things. But I think one of the things that people just live with is the way that their body changes and their identity shifts. And people don't really give the space that it needs as a woman to grieve that. I think that time changes tremendously for women more so than men, because we have so many changes going on at once. And now we're fully responsible for somebody else. And it's not just like, okay, I'm responsible. No, if something happens, like there are severe consequences, emotional, legal, like there, it's not a joke. Like now, all of a sudden, you are like, legitimately responsible. And it's a lot, but you can't just pick up and leave and do all the things you want to do. So That kind of ties into the undergarments because I was really focused on creating pieces that were not only functional for women after they've had children, but beautiful. I think a lot of us just relegate the fact that, okay, well, I just need to be comfortable right in this moment. And then I don't want to say we let ourselves go, but we do. I mean, even in COVID, I didn't even, what I loved about the time during COVID, and it's a few things I want to be grateful for during this time when there's so much chaos, is that People could be themselves, like they didn't have a choice. You couldn't get your nails, your eyebrows, your eyelashes, your hair done. Like everybody was their true self.
1: See like a primetime person on TV with like terrible roots or like a grown out haircut. Yeah,
2: and I think it brought people together in a way because it made things real. And I think when you have a baby, that still has not shifted from when I had my daughter. There is a push for this whole pro- body movement but we are so much more than our bodies and I think that's the issue that we still face as women when we have children and that's something that I try to work on helping women come into with the pieces that we make here
1: yeah and can you tell us the name of your company Um,
2: yeah my company's name is Mayanna Jean-Pierre and a lot of people like where did you get that name
1: i where. Did the name come from?
2: Yeah. So the Mayana is the name of mine and my daughter's middle name put together. And it's a very strong meaning. So Maya is actually my middle name. And in the faith that I was introduced to when I was born and that I was raised in, uh, which is Hinduism, it means illusion. And It means that everything in this world is not real. What you think is real is not real. And that means like the things that you think are important, your busyness, your follower status, all that crap is not real. None of that is real. What's real is how you feel and your soul and your contract agreement that you have in this life. So I felt like that was a very powerful name. And then I had named my daughter Nayana, which means I, but I had thought of it as like the third eye when she was born, because it was really an awakening for me when I had her. And I wasn't expecting it at the level that it was. I was expecting... All the television commercial things of having a baby, like the baby room. And the, now today it's gender reveal. We didn't even have that then, but like those kinds of things. And it wasn't really the focus for me. So I thought that, that was a very rich and meaningful name. And then I really love the name jean Fief in French, but it actually, I wanted a variation of it because it means woman of the people. And I felt like that was a very strong name.
1: When you say allusion to it, it makes me think of the point you were touching on there, which is about how you feel after is all like in the mind because you can't really control how your body is. I think as a woman, it's really easy to hate your body in the now. You're always like, oh, if I lose a couple of pounds or when my baby weight's gone or when my stomach shrinks or like insert anything, I'll feel better. But actually, you're always chasing something. For me, I dress a lot. Or confidence and then it's actually it's how you feel in those garments
2: yeah exactly
1: it's exactly like with your undergarments it's like how you feel in them can really change how you think about yourself that kind of came up when you said that
2: And there's something really magical about fashion. Like fashion has a bad rap right now. And I agree with it. Like it's a lot of, it's not being done in a healthy way and it's not done ethically and it's exploiting people. And the consumer doesn't know. I can't fault the consumer. I feel like it should be up to the government and brands to take ownership depends on who's leading the brand and who's, we were talking about this, like what, Vested interest people have in in the process. But when you have a cold or you're not feeling well, like if you take a bath or you just put on something, like it's an instant pick me up. You just feel better right away. Mm -hmm. And I found that undergarments was the most underserved process of the recovery part of having a baby. It's like that fourth trimester is this ignored, dismissed. And I know people are like, oh, own it, love my body, this, that. Okay, great. But at the same time, are you understanding your body? Do you recognize what it just did for you? Do you realize that this is an important part of the process of having a child? This isn't the forgotten part of having a child. This is a very important step for your body to continue to do what it needs to either nourish your child or to help you recover from having such an incredible experience, whether you have your baby, and some people not, right? We took in certain yeah. cases, you're still recovering.
1: But yeah. And I think it's like the lost piece sometimes because your men go through a certain process, the whole notion of you can snap back to how you were before. It's like, no, there's a process that's happening. You're not meant to skip it. That would almost be to suggest that either it's not happening or that it's not an important part of the process or really like something is potentially going wrong. It's not healthy to have that process completely ignored and if you can look great in it because let's face it if you have nice underwear on you could have a terrible you could have your sweatpants on over the top and feel quite like sexy and nice (laughs) within doesn't it like if you feel sexy or nice on the inside is going to come out on the outside. So I guess that's all, all part of your messaging as well. Yes. I'm just, I'm just staring at
2: the clothes in the background on this course. Yeah, we have the mannequins kind of set up for the show that we're doing digitally this year, of course. But yeah, this is the point that I was trying to, to make is that these pieces are not for your partner. These pieces are for you. These pieces are for you to reconnect with yourself, for you to feel good about yourself. And... To feel like, oh my God, there's something that actually fits me that I want to wear. Because now also, I think most of the women that I meet anyways, including myself, after you have a child, you're not willing to sacrifice comfort anymore that you were before you had a child. Before you had a child, you would squeeze your foot in those really uncomfortable high heels. Yeah. You would walk outside in the freezing cold in a skimpy dress. You would do all these things. <laughs> <laughs> when you have a child, you're like, "Oh, hey, I'm not bothering. I'm not going to put myself through that. Why am I going
1: to look good, but make you comfortable too?" Exactly. No, I love it all. Oh, I appreciate appreciate your company or doing things like that and the messaging that goes behind it coming back to your birth experience how was being pregnant for you like what were your highs and lows because I know obviously it was 11 years ago yeah a different experience to I did for example like how did that play out for you was you excited to be pregnant I know you were saying
2: that using, was that the plan when you went there or it was interesting because we were planning to so after that whole conversation like I had mentioned earlier about what does that mean for my identity which I which I had known, but I didn't realize I had known so much. I think intuitively I knew that my identity would change, but I was not fully aware that it would change. So when I got pregnant, I mean, the first trimester, I had a very difficult time and I didn't know why. And later on, I figured out why, because I ended up developing endometriosis, which I didn't even know ran in my family.
1: While you like the realization was while well, you were pregnant, or was it something that in retrospect you're like, oh, I've had this for years. Like how have I managed? Yeah,
2: we just didn't know because I was on birth control for so long, and I didn't know it was the first time I was off hormones indefinitely. And when I had my, when I got pregnant with my daughter, I never went back on hormones again. And oh my gosh, I'm so passionate about that. But that was one of the pieces that for me at the beginning was very challenging. So my first trimester wasn't fun. And I think a lot of women can connect with that. As I know A lot of women have morning sickness or, you know, some type of different experience. My second trimester was great. I started really enjoying being pregnant and I was living in Spain at the time. So I was able to travel and do different things and still have myself be myself. And then in the third trimester, oh my goodness, I put on a lot of weight really quick. And I mean, it wasn't fun going to the doctor's office and getting weighed in, in front of like a bunch of people, but that wasn't even my biggest issue. My biggest issue was my back went out because I gained upwards of a hundred pounds with my pregnancy with my daughter. So that was really shocking. Like my body took a real big, It was like what happened. yeah, at that point I was like, oh, I just want it over. Like, I think as women, we go through these different phases. We're like, oh my gosh. And then we're like, oh my goodness, how is this going to come out? And then at the end, we're like, get it out. <laughs> it's just like, it's like so big. I don't... So
1: I was it's a bit too big and then you're like ah they like you say and you was yeah
2: you're like afraid oh my gosh and then after you're like okay I don't care How I just it just like I'm not comfortable now so in the last two like I couldn't really walk I had issues with my sciatica and my hip and all that and then I was two weeks overdue at the end so that's when they were like okay we need to induce you
1: and before yeah. tell us about how it come to be that you you decided to have a doula? Because I feel like you had a, doula, yes. a trendy thing for people. To
2: yeah, th- to your point, this was before doulas became trendy, which it shouldn't even be a trend. It, it it's, I feel like it's a necessity. The common
1: person knows about maybe is what I'm meaning to say. Like, yeah, even five years ago or four years ago, no, it was five years ago when I was considering a doula. Like, I had to explain to Every single person who it was, and like re-explain, and like even like on the day of birth, my mom was like, "What is a doula again?" And now I feel like it goes about saying, even if someone might explain or understand it, even if someone doesn't know why one might want to do it.
2: Yeah. No, so you're absolutely correct. I did have a lot of explaining to do. I didn't have any siblings, and I was the first of my friends and family to have a baby. Of my close friends and family at that time, and then I had my husband at the time, and then. My mother was not really into the whole birthing process. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna be going at this alone. I better get somebody who's gonna come in and help me. And I looked into I've always been this way, anyways. I don't like to use the term, but alternative natural things to do. So it was interesting because I think my journey to finding a doula really came from looking online at the beginning of who can help you facilitate pain when you don't when you want to have a non-medicated labor and delivery if you can manage it. And so that's how I came into finding a doula and it, I would do it 10 times over. I don't even, I mean, it's life-changing. I feel like she was really an advocate for me when I didn't know how to navigate the system that is the hospital and she's obviously very well experienced in birthing. So she's been to a lot of births. And this was my first. And I just felt more comfortable having somebody in there who is going to have the experience to be there with me because I didn't feel like I could rely on any, anybody. Else. Like I hear horror stories of people's partners passing out and, and you just don't know how people are going to react around you.
1: I, I totally agree. And I feel like my husband's very supportive, but we'd know each other's boundaries and that's, in an emergency, I would want to call kind of anyone but him.
2: Cause- <laughs> 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 Yes, because I don't know what to expect my first delivery. So I was like, Oh, yeah, no, I I need somebody who's gonna be level headed and experienced in this in, in the room with me. Because my mom didn't want to come in the room with me. My mom had her own, I guess, issues around that process. And she stood outside the room the whole time. So interesting because my stepfather was there and he wanted to come in and he's like such a huge part of my life. He's passed away now, but he's like a huge part of my life. And I really wanted him in there. My mom's like, no, that's not appropriate. <laughs> so they two of them stood outside the room.
1: They were there in spirit. Yes, they
2: were there in spirit. Yeah.
1: And then take us back to how you went into labor.
2: and Yeah. So I was... Two weeks overdue, so the first thing they were like, okay, we need to induce you. And I said to the doula, do they really need to induce me? And she's like, no, but they have to do that because you have to sign a waiver forfeiting your liability rights to the hospital and all this other stuff. And then the fear-based conversations start coming in, right?
1: You start to doubt your own confidence.
2: Yeah, it's one thing when you read everything and then... My mom is very, I would say maybe to the book, she's like trusting in all the systems and I'm like the opposite. But it was one thing I was like, okay, I, I have to think about all the scenarios. I said, all right, so let me go in and let me see what's happening. So we went in for the induction, and they did the sweep, the fun part, and they were trying to figure out, okay, let's see when we're going to induce her. And I was already in labor, and I had no idea. I was already in labor, and that was like the biggest piece for me. It was like, oh my gosh. And they're saying, oh, indeed, do you know that you're already in labor? And I said, no. I didn't even... they like, don't you feel anything? And I thought... No, because I already had the first trimester of pain. I just kind of got used to, not used to pain, but I just, there's different things that happen during pregnancy. You get kicked while you're pregnant. Like you get all, all kinds of things happen to you. You're just like-
1: And it does become normal. You're right. It does become normal. Even as someone who hasn't suffered with endometriosis, you kind of have all these feelings that just become normal. Yeah. You just go about life, especially in COVID where you're stuck inside and you're so well for so long. The other day I had a flashback where I was like, oh God, that feels like being pregnant and I'm definitely pregnant. But it was that reminder of like, oh, remember when I felt like that for like three months where you constantly need a wee? Like how it felt like the endometriosis had made like your baseline of pain. Just Yeah, it's
2: funny because when I saw the obstetrician finally, she's like, oh, you're definitely ready for labor. And I'm thinking, is this normal? Because they said a cyst broke inside my body and because I was pregnant, it couldn't come out. So my uterus kept contracting and that they thought I was going to lose my daughter when I first got pregnant. But all her numbers kept doubling when they take me to the hospital to get checked and her numbers kept doubling. They're like, you're just going to have to deal with this pain because we can't give you anything strong for it. And she's growing. Wow. Yeah.
1: On a higher baseline of pain just going into this. But you you didn't notice. Wow.
2: Yeah. And then I went in and I thought, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to do this. So I was like, okay, eight hours in active labor, like after every minute contraction, okay, I can deal with And oh my God, I became so miserable. So I can't do this anymore. And my doula is like, you know what? You're not going to get a medal if you do this without medication. Okay. You're not getting a medal. And I thought well, she's so right. Like that, all that mindset piece was really helpful. And it allowed me permission to make decisions that weren't, just based off my expectations or disappointing myself or how I wanted the process to go. But with the flow and then I got the epidural. Mm-hmm. And then she said to the nurses, you need to check her, it's been an hour. And they're like, oh no, she's a first time mom. It takes a long time. Oh my, my daughter's head was out of my body already and I couldn't feel anything. And they said, don't you feel that? And I said, no, I don't feel anything. Is that the point of the epidural? They took me off the drip right away. And I, man, did I feel it then. I was like, I don't think it's supposed to feel like this. <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't have a gradual like I had the active labor but now I'm really she's hanging out right
1: you just had the plug pulled on your on
2: your <laughs> yes on my crutch
1: so did she literally come out straight after that then
2: you was just one push and I'm done or I didn't push for very long I must have pushed for 10 minutes I'm a really good listener mm-hmm. and that helped because I did want her to come out and I was listening to what they were saying but at the beginning I was like I can't do this I I I was crying I was like this is I can't do this and then the obstetrician's like do you want me to bring a mirror and I'm like what no I don't want (laughs) to I don't want a mirror that's just like that might help you you know like you'll see your baby I'm like I don't it's not that I don't care about my baby right now like I'm I'm in a lot of pain it's just I just want her out I don't need to see her I don't want to see anything ripping I, I was very so she did this wonderful thing. She said, like, give me your hand. And she took my hand and she put my hand down by my daughter's head. And yeah. then I was like, okay, I can do this.
1: Yeah, it was like a connection to it. It's yeah. like I've seen all those videos of people touch the baby's head and they like lift them out of the water. And I've wanted to do that so bad. But in the moment, I'm like, no, don't tell me. This just needs to <laughs>
2: <laughs> And I think we talked about this. I had this like epic birth plan that was so spiritual with candles and I was going to do a water birth and I had these like all these things and then and you know it's interesting because that's how I'm raised like I do all that I stage I like all those pieces but in the moment I became a different person I didn't want any of that I wanted the lights on I didn't want I think I wanted the lights off but I got out of the bathtub right away. I was like, I can't do this water birth. Like, I need to get out of here. Yeah. I didn't want it to smell anything. I didn't want any music on. Like, it was a completely different picture I than what know. I had written.
1: I've had four births in total, but like really three that I was in control of. And yeah, exactly the same. Every time I had all these wonderful ideas. And in the moment, I was like, don't touch me. Don't touch me. Yeah, it was. And I kept thinking I could like override it, but. I think it was, like you say, the expectation versus reality. Once I let go of the expectation, I'm like, does it really matter if I have the music on? No, it's meant to be to help me. If it's not helping me, then let's just turn it off. Like I'm still the what I want. I just thought maybe I wanted something else. Maybe this is just what I need, you know? And you see so many other things and you like want a magical experience, but... Maybe our own versions are magical and not always telling. Um, oh, and
2: I think that's okay too because I think we're fed all these messages that birthing is—it is amazing. Yes, yeah. But it's not always magical for people, and pregnancy isn't always wonderful for people. And like these,
1: I feel like what you said about it after. It's, yeah, it's all nice. Oh, like I'm amazing a look what my body did. But you also wanna honor how you do feel if that's not good in the time and I think that kind of runs through to everything and your your experience can let ebb and flow over all of those things
2: and not always be what you want it to be and I'm a really big advocate for real like self-care but the real self-care like there is self-care and I talked about this earlier today there's self-care that is getting your nails done getting your hair done and all that but there's also self-care of the true I find form of self-care is the discipline that it takes to get up and go for a walk every day because moving your body is healthy or reprogramming yourself by brainwashing yourself by giving yourself different ways of thinking and working on your mindset like that's care and that's not the pretty side of self-care but people just always want to sugarcoat everything and good vibes only no there's room and space for all the feelings and i think you need all of those to grow
1: I totally agree this period of time has definitely taught me that and I actually think the self-care that you're talking about at the beginning is more like the plaster self-care like laying all of these stuff on top of you that visually make you look like you have it together and maybe make you convinced you do yes so trapped at home in your own with your own mind and you can't do all those things you start to realize that actually your mindset the way you talk about yourself the way you talk outwardly talk about things is the real work, because that can be really hard to change if that's having a negative effect on you. And say getting up to go for a run every day that you know will make you feel better, or walk or do yoga, whatever it is, make you feel better and that laying in bed won't. But what like, what so often do we choose? That's work. So yeah, you're so right. I, I totally agree with all of that. Not to say I don't like getting my nails done to make myself. I think there has to be a balance. And you can't, yeah, you can't say, oh, good vibes only while walking around saying, oh, I hate myself. I look horrible. And I think
2: that's the thing is that that's the only messaging that we get is like you go to the spa, you get your nails done, you get your hair done. That's all self-care. But that's not the only form of self-care. That is a part of self-care, but it's not the only
1: And tell us about, because I know you were saying you was really worried about tearing in your birth Went some way to try and stop that happening as well.
2: Yeah, I was obsessed with that because I heard that you tear and I was like, what? It was so interesting because I ended up getting a prenatal yoga instructor because at that time my daughter was upside down and I really wanted to find different poses and things that I could do to help her kind of get ready for the birth. So I looked that up and I found her and I, I came back to Canada to have her. And um, she was telling me about the things I've never heard of, like prolapse and all. And I said, What well, I didn't even know things could fall out of your vagina at the time. I was so naive and I thought, what is this? <laughs> you know, I couldn't believe all of these things that I didn't know.
1: Yeah. So did that fear in you or was it more like I need to do something to address this that's going
2: to make me... It was more like there's got to be a solution for this. Like this can't be every woman's birthday experience to the point where none of us know that this happens until we go through it. No, that's weird. So what I ended up doing was I ended up researching and my doula did say to me that you can actually use any oil that you have in your home, like an olive oil or a coconut oil, and just start to massage that area the area of your perineum and back and forth and towards the direction that the baby comes out. Yeah. Tell you how ignorant, like, I did not know until I got pregnant that the baby doesn't come straight out of your vagina. I thought what most people do, and now I say that to all my teenage, younger cousins, family members, friends, like nieces. Yes, it doesn't do that. It goes around the birth canal, which pushes towards your bum and then out through the vagina. And they're like, what? I said, yes. Okay. It doesn't come straight out. It doesn't shoot up. She told me a little bit about that. And I started looking it up and I started doing the massage. And I remember the first time I did it, I was like, oh my God, this is so painful. But imagine if I didn't do any of it.
1: Yeah, no, I had yeah. finger at the time. like
2: Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh God, like, this is really painful and it's very uncomfortable. And I was like, oh, okay, so I started doing it three times a day. That's discipline because I didn't want to. God knows I did not That's want good. it. But I kept thinking, do you want to tear? Or do you, okay, so my obstetrician was not available and somebody else came in. And she was just automatically going to cut me right away because I'm a first time mom. And my doula's like stepped in and she's like, hold on a minute. She's stretching. Why do you have to cut her? can you let her tear? And she said, oh, wow. She observed that. I think she just was going into her regular, okay, this is a baby. First time mom, cut. You know what I mean? Like a factory almost. And so they let me go through and I only had two stitches, which was amazing. Now that I'm light years ahead and I know so much more and I educate women and I have the known for profit and all this. Stuff. But at that time, I didn't realize what a big deal that was because my baby came out and she was 8'11, 8 pounds eleven, and she was twenty one or twenty two inches. She was pretty long and she was maybe bigger back then. So that that was one thing that I felt was really important to know and that women should know and should share.
1: Yes, oh, I agree. And how did it feel having her in your arms for the first time? Like how was that? How was that to go through when you had gone from putting your hand down there to being like, oh my god, there's a baby here.
2: I was so. I felt very weak. Like I felt like I couldn't hold her. It was heavy. I felt like she was really heavy and I could have been exhausted too. Right. I was in labor for like 12 hours, but I was holding her. She didn't make any noise when she came out. And so the doctors were like, mom, you have to stimulate baby. And I was like, what does that even mean? I I don't know. And then they just started rubbing her. No noise. She was just staring at everybody. She was looking around at everybody. She wasn't making any noise. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, she was so much easier to carry when she was in my, st- my, my belly. <laughs> I was just afraid to drop her, you know? It's just a lot to process, I think, when she came out and then you're holding her and then they're tugging on your, for the afterbirth to get the placenta out, and that's fun. And so you're just like, you know, I know this is probably not what most people hear when they... It's making my birth sound story sound so awful. But-,
1: but it's how it's how you remember it and that's what's important, I think. Yeah. Your story to tell at the end of the day, whether other people view it in any which way.
2: Yeah. Like I I found it to be Dunk it
1: down and then like you say, you don't actually ever get to hear as someone who hasn't birthed what it's really like. Well make it sound nice. Like really what this platform is for, like for the mum to tell it as it is, not not doesn't it need to be embellished or held back. That's how you felt. And I don't know if it sounds awful. I think it sounds real.
2: <laughs> Thank you. And like when I had her, I remember saying to everybody in the room, I think there was two doctors, two nurses, my husband, my, my mom came in, my stepdad. I said, uh, can somebody explain to me how women have allowed men to rule this world? Because no man could do what I just did. Oh, God. And they all stared at me. <laughs> how many
1: men are scared of a vasectomy? And you're worried about a little cut.
2: Yes. And I also do believe, I also said, you know what? They need to teach this in sex ed. Like, oh, this is the real deal. This is what people need to know.
1: Don't tell them how to do it. Tell them what comes afterwards.
2: Well, they, they, they don't even tell you how to do that in sex ed. In sex ed, they tell you how to avoid getting pregnant. They're not entirely transparent. I think that's the agenda. Usually when you're dealing with sex ed in Canada, usually at that time.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, like there's a blur in England. Yeah,
2: but there needs to be conversations around what's really going to happen for the woman.
1: Yeah, that might put people off more than more often than that don't do it. And how did you feel after? What sort of helped you in your postpartum period?
2: What helped me in my postpartum period? Well, I know you had a diff- it was a difficult time in general, but... Yeah, it was a really difficult time for me. I actually had a marriage breakdown that I wasn't anticipating and it came out of left field. So I was navigating that and I was navigating being a new mom by myself. So I started recognizing some signs that I saw that were similar to my mom and how she is. And I I felt some more empathy for my mom for the first time because my mom and I haven't always had the best relationship. We love each other to death, but it's not like this maternal, like when I see people on TV and they love their mom and they want to do everything with their mom. And no, we don't have that relationship. I would say we're more like oil and water a lot of the times, but I do have a very deep respect for my mother for everything she's done coming here as an immigrant by herself and sponsoring her family and doing all these things on her own. That's a lot. But yeah, I think it was time for me to get some help. And I I did start seeing a therapist. That has been my saving grace. And I recommend it whether you're going through something difficult or not. I think a lot of people think that difficult times is the only time to see somebody because when everything's great, it's great. There's a lot of work to be done that I had to sift through to figure out what type of mom do I want to be what type of woman do I want to become and how is this new life experience going to shape my future and what do I want it to look like? Such
1: a big life change to go through those two things simultaneously. One is bad enough and I haven't experienced the other so I can't imagine you combining them into one. Yeah, Yeah. you do
2: feel a lot of You doubt your self-worth and you doubt yourself as a person and you just, there's a lot of things that happen to you personally about how you feel about yourself. In addition to, oh my God, my body's just changed so dramatically. Oh my God, now I have to be responsible for this person night and day. There's a lot of things. So I, I felt like my close friends, you really get to know who your friends are when you're going through difficult times. If you're going through a loss, any kind of loss family, a relationship, a death of a family member, you know, any kind of deep loss like that, you really get to see who's there for you and who isn't. So I think that has been the biggest piece for me is learning to step into myself. And interestingly enough, it came on the other night, but Eat, Pray, Love came out around the same time. I was loving the movie. and I read the book first before the movie, but I thought, I can't travel. I can't go to Bali and Italy and, and <laughs> India. I have this baby. I can't do all these things. And But I was determined to not feel the way I was feeling anymore. Mm-hmm. And that really required a lot of deep self-work, reflection and introspection. And I think that's really what had helped me to become who I am today and how I created my company and how I use whatever I do to help support women in a way that I feel is beneficial. Doesn't matter what stage you're in.
1: Oh yeah, I agree, and I feel like it's quite powerful to be your own catalyst to turn it around. To be like, I'm not going to feel like this anymore. So how do I make that not happen? And you put that power into it yourself, and especially as a mother who like is determined, I think that's a really powerful thing to do. And I can definitely attest to that being helpful for myself too, because there comes a point where you're like, oh, I can complain about this and yes have happened to me and it's not my fault and it's not fair but then yeah. it does come a point me like but who's suffering right now me and who is gonna stop who's the only person who can stop the way I'm thinking about it me and having that realization not to say that's like an easy thing to do or then it's all like rainbows and unicorns but I do think there's a lot of power of taking things into your own hands even though you're having a time
2: because the world isn't fair It isn't. And I tell my daughter this every single day. And it's interesting, because I'm so grateful for her. She has really kept me going in that when I am behaving a certain way, I always recognize that I am the model for her. And what am I modeling to her that is acceptable, that is okay, that is and I'm not saying that she's the only person that is an inspiration to me that inspires me to do that. But just the fact that she's watching me, you just don't want to feel like you're a failure. Like you're going to fail yourself and your child. Oh, my goodness. No, I got it. I got to get it together. You know what I mean? Like
1: well, Also, I think it comes back to the point that like I, I think about this a lot. Is You always want so much for your children, but you don't necessarily model it in yourself. You're like, I want you to be body confident. And then you're walking around going, oh, I hate this and this. And it's like what I'm doing. So it's quite stressful, (laughs) because you're like, oh God, I have to do all these things myself. But I think you're right. It becomes an inspiration that you want things to trickle down rather than expect them to go do all the work for the things that you're struggling to do, because we know that it's hard. So with that kind of being said, like, what do you feel
2: like having your daughter has taught you? Patience. I'm still working on it. Oh my goodness. But also how to reparent myself. Uh That is a really big piece because... One thing that I have learned, and then Dr. Um, Shafali Tabari came out with this book a few years later, but it's very true. Like The way we react to our children is predominantly how we have been raised, whether it's an experience we've had or how our parents used to speak to us. And I find myself, when I... She, she does things sometimes that are very irritating to me. I need to take a minute and I'm not always perfect at this. God knows, especially if I have a lot on the go or there's a lot of things that are overwhelming, especially during COVID. I find a lot of us also like really, that's really where the self-nurturing comes in. But I do kind of think, okay, hold on a minute. This is how I feel to react to her, which means that probably happened to me growing up. How can I change this experience for her? And I find that I'm more introspective, like it just forces me to pause Mm -hmm. and look at how I am responding as opposed to reacting to situations, to people, to whatever it is, Mm -hmm. that has been the biggest turning point for me with my daughter.
1: I feel like her messaging that are I've listened to several podcasts she's done and one in particular with Oprah that really struck a chord with me that our kids aren't our possessions and that we like grant their respect and their friendship and all the other things rather than thinking and it's so obvious when you say it aloud it's of course I don't own you but we have been like over the years taught to almost think that and When you stop to think, oh, there's going to come a point where they don't have to do anything for me, that you still want them to respect you and not just like you because you're like, oh, just make them like me but just knowing that they're not yours is quite powerful and quite scary.
2: (laughs) They are not yours. And there's a really great book that I read that helped me a lot. And it's called You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. That is my Bible. I love that book. I highly encourage people to look into it when they're ready to really step into their own power and release all ways of thinking and That's one of the biggest things that I've learned because I too, like when I had read all these expectations, I was very sad. I was grieving the fact that my family was breaking down and all these expectations I had. And I I allowed myself to really focus on, and my therapist is really instrumental, but what if is not what is. And that is a really Mm. huge, powerful statement that I use all the time because now I'm like, that's so true. Oh, what if I did this differently? Or what if this, no, no, that's not what is. We're dealing with what is, because we can get so caught up in these all this alternate reality of what what we want things to be, but it's not what it really is.
1: And it's also living in the past, because you're trying yeah. to be past in the present, and then that's just impossible and quite
2: depressing. It is, it is depressing, and then you'll forever be depressed, and you'll feel like you were cheated, and all these bad things happened to you. No, no, no these things happen to you, what are you going to do with it? Yeah. yeah. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to shift it to your advantage so you can really manifest or materialize what your purpose is here on this earth?
1: That's exactly what you've done, isn't it?
2: When I think about it, sometimes when I shut the lights at night, I think all of this energy, all this money I put into this business, it's just energy. And it's energy to help other women feel good about themselves. And it's just an exchange. And that's all it is. Supporting local really helps keep us going. That's my little plug, but it's true when companies are closing left, right and center right now, it's a scary time.
1: It really is. Two things I wanted to say, one is that I love the mask that you're doing with the mm-hmm. lace, like covering to not the actual lace mask, I guess they'd be a bit useless. Yeah, I love the concept of like your mask can still look good and you can feel good in these times. And I think, yeah, I've been really thinking about particularly this week, feel like once September's over, my family are always asking me what we want for Christmas. And I think what I want for Christmas in its most basic terms is for local businesses to still be open. So I'm really trying to think about what I can buy locally, what I can support this or even not just locally but small businesses who are competing against Amazon and all of those bigger businesses because people I know own these those businesses and maybe they're not things that I would buy myself because I don't need them but it's like it's still that community of people isn't it that need,
2: need. absolutely and we've started introducing masks that men can wear but my core customer is not men but there are so many men that could share what I do because they're going to know somebody. I'm
1: like, okay, we need five of those or like we need however many of those. And it's easier to buy in one place often than going sourcing them for everywhere, especially in these kinds where you don't go out so much. But when you're yeah. online, you're like, oh, they do that as well. Done.
2: Yeah. I have so many local businesses here that I love. I don't eat meat. I eat fish, but I don't eat meat. And I still promote them. Like, I think I think people sometimes think that they always have to You ha- definitely vote with your dollar. That's really important. But that's not the only thing. There's two currencies in this world that we see. There's money and there's followers. Yeah. And if you can share, even if it's with one or two people, hey, yeah. check out this business or that's just as important as supporting because it might not be something you would buy and that's wasteful too.
1: Yeah. But you don't know, you don't know where it's going and who's eyes. Yeah. That's the point really, because we're all looking for different things. And sometimes it just drops in your lap and then you're like, bam, I'm going to do that. Yeah, exactly. I think that's important. It's something I've been thinking about this week to share local businesses and like then keep them somewhere on
2: Instagram so that people can just go there rather than going down the high street because who knows? Yeah, there are things that, that you would curate that you find interesting. Well, thank you so
1: much. Before we go, I'm going to ask you a couple of just like fun, lighthearted questions. Sure. What's the funniest moment of motherhood you've had? Something that brought you joy or like a time where you're like, what is going on? I've just totally failed at that.
2: Yeah. What would that moment be? Oh my goodness. Is there anything that sticks out? There's a few things that stick out with my daughter. I think, I remember one Thanksgiving, we sat around the table. I have this thing. I don't believe in the origin of Thanksgiving, but I do appreciate the holiday. For giving thanks, so I we sat around and everybody had to say their piece, and then my daughter says she was three, no she was four. I'm so grateful to be with you all here together in this lifetime, and all of us looked at each other and said, "What the?" And then I'm like, "Oh my gosh, maybe I'm reading too much of these." Self help, too much Oprah, Super Soul Sunday, like she never did So that was a very interesting moment because my whole family was like in shock. I think my friends and my family were just <laughs> parenting fail. Oh my goodness! I feel like there's. I don't. I try not to beat myself up too much about...
1: I feel like it's maybe the wrong way to explain it. Yeah,
2: I don't think it is because sometimes there's one, there's something that stuck out in my mind. I went to the doctor's office once and she coughed. She was little. She was really little. And this person was like scolding her to cover her mouth.
1: Yeah.
2: I didn't say anything. Mm -hmm. And I regretted it after the fact because I was like, you know what? I shouldn't be afraid again, like practice what I preach, but you still have your moments. You always have opportunities to that muscle and hindsight's
1: wonderful when you walk away and you're like damn it
2: yes and I'm like maybe there's a reason why I didn't say anything there but yeah those are like the two things that really stand out in my mind but after that I was like oh yeah never again am I gonna sit there when somebody says something I'll just respond and not in a rude way but yeah you want me to
1: do tell my toddler
2: yeah they just don't get it even in a pandemic like in the doctor's office obviously we're it's not like she's out in it we're in the office
1: there's something right there for you if you could just <laughs> sort out what that means and then what would your like perfect day be with no children maybe not in a pandemic world like a luxurious parent
2: free day oh my gosh a luxurious parent free day would be me walking with a matcha latte and I love to shop in little stores like those quaint little window shopping stores there's so many cute ones here in the local area yeah. but yes and then go for a really nice dinner so if this is a perfect fictional day. So I would be maybe in a really small town looking at little shops or I love home sense. That's another place I like. I can't get, oh God, it's dangerous. And then I love going out for fancy dinners by myself. So I used to go to New York a lot for work. I used to go there all the time. And the one thing I really loved about going there was going somewhere for dinner Mm -hmm. by myself and having a nice glass of wine and ordering like whatever the hell I felt like ordering and not looking at the price yes. and eating it and not feeling guilty about it. If it was like a really fancy dessert or whatever it was, and just ordering it and oh, enjoying yeah, it. it. Yeah, That's wonderful. That sounds like a yeah.
1: night, maybe. And, and specifically on my own, I will
2: add. And I know my like my friends would call me and they'd say, oh, where are you? I said, oh, I'm in New York. I'm at this restaurant. Or it would be even amazing if I was like in Paris. Like, they call me and they'd say, well, what are, you, are you by yourself? Yes, I'm by myself. Do you want somebody to meet with you? No, I don't, I don't want anybody around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Have a conversation. And then, yeah, I just want to be with myself.
1: And then similar to that point, what is the thing that you're missing most about pandemic life other than, not other than anything, actually, just what is the thing that you're missing?
2: I, going to New York. I miss my family. Is that I what, love, where they all are now? No, I have most of my family's in Toronto, but I do love New York. Like that to me is like my second home. I, I used to go there all the time. I have family there. I have so many great friends there. I do a lot of business over there and it just feels so alive.
1: For me, it's like a closer London. Yes. And we would go to New York a lot. I think we maybe went three times in a year or 18 months and felt like a taste of home without being home and still being somewhere else. I don't know. I
2: I just similar too, right? Like everything's just on foot. Yeah. I really miss that. And I do miss, I don't know if I, we just, I just did a poll up on Instagram and I asked people like, what do people think about holidays and stuff like that and to be honest it was nice not having to do all this work for thanksgiving for once i didn't feel like all this pressure to cook and clean mm-hmm. and organize who we're going to see this weekend and
1: the cleaning too is real when you know no one's coming in your house it's actually quite liberating you go to bed no one's coming in the morning also annoys me we are english and don't historically celebrate thanksgiving and i agree with you i i appreciate it as a holiday and the concept of giving thanks but not how it came to be. And I'm like new to it anyway, but I felt like it was a dress rehearsal for Christmas. It was like almost like testing. Yeah. (laughs) But it was yeah, it was funny. I was like, I kinda like this laid backness of it all. And
2: then you're with family. I don't know if you have a lot of family here, but for those of us that do, you have all this fun when you're with family, it's all the family dynamics and all the Stuff that comes back with it, and you didn't have to do any of that this year. You could do whatever the hell you wanted, and that's what we did. We all did our own thing. Like my daughter, my partner, he, him, and I. And oh my gosh, it was so good. Is
1: that one year's a break to maybe appreciate it all coming back next year? Maybe that is a blessing in disguise.
2: It is, and my daughter brought up a really big again at Thanksgiving. Her Thanksgiving this year was that she's grateful. <laughs> She was grateful for the pandemic because it brought us all together to have real quality time. And she also said, and it taught people how to become clean, (laughs) how to be clean, because Caribbean people are super anal with cleaning every weekly meat, you know, so she was getting to the same standard. Yeah. And that's what I was saying is, you know, I think there'll be a newfound appreciation for people and boundaries. I think that's what's interesting is that people will understand and respect and not personalize somebody else's boundaries because it has forced you to not personalize things like it's you can pass off and be like, ah, you know what? I'm not not, thanks what? for the invitation, but I'm just not comfortable. It's, COVID. it's like
1: really quite nice saying no with conviction and it being okay. And I think because we're all in it, you can't personalize it. You can't take it in a way because you just don't know the complexities. And I think that's what upsets me about all this judgment, both online and judgment where everyone's all oh, did this. And it's none of us. So We're all in the same situation, yes, but there's so many intricacies to each decision that seems so clear cut as don't go outside, but it's everything so intricate. So as much as it pisses me off that people judge people, I think if it really got broken down and you had a conversation with anyone saying that, you're like, actually, you no, know, like their boundaries are just different to yours, and they're just thinking about this versus that because, whatever. But right. exactly, is, it's going to be a good overall test and lesson for us because, let's face it, we're not all having therapy and we're not all in like a healing process. Yeah, the people that are on the other side who. Either have no need to or thought they had no need to. It's a bit more of a leveler, I think. I think
2: so too. And I think people are getting a very rude awakening, some people, as to what really matters. Mm. Because what really matters is not the things that we're buying and the things that we're doing and and the things that the the way we're showing up in the world in a not authentic way. What really matters is how we show up in an authentic way, how we appreciate the time we have with each other how we care for our community and how we really want our own neighbors, family members to thrive, not just survive in this process, right? That's the most beautiful thing that's coming out of this. And there's going to be people who always have their own vested interests. And a lot of these people are coming from a position of privilege too. And it's waking up everybody because everybody,
1: even though I do still think it, it obviously disproportionately affects people like pandemic life, but it, doesn't discriminate in that you can still be affected by the nature of your business, even if you've got a very lucrative business. It's not like fair or linear or, yeah. Yeah.
2: What the pandemic has done is highlight the amount of discrepancy there is or just how big the gap is and how many things need to be done, but the willingness of people to recognize that and honor those pieces that we all need to to heal kind of together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It makes me hopeful that we'll come out more compassionate at the end of this, whenever the end of this is, or whether this is just when we get used to it. Thank you so much. It's been a really interesting conversation. And now I'm about to go buy that book.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, you got to tell me how much you, tell me what you think of it. It struck me at a time where it was like, a lot of new thinking for me. I did a lot of anger with that book. I threw that book across the room quite a few times. And I was like, I'm not ready. And then I just leave it over there. And then I'll be like, okay, I'm ready. And I'll go pick it up. This
1: is my year to read those kind of books. So I will enjoy it. Thank you, Nadine. And thank you for all that you're doing, not just in this conversation, but like online and in your business for women. I think the world needs more of that spirit and that determination to get from where you was to where you are now but also to pass it on so thank you
2: thank you so much